Well, if we could uh, this morning for a short while, and with the Lord's help, if we could turn back to that portion of Scripture that we read, uh, the book of Acts. The book of Acts and chapter 9. And if we read again at verse 3. Acts chapter 9 and verse 3. Now as he, that is Saul, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. And suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I'm sure we've all heard of the phrase, a road to Damascus experience. Because, well, it's used in almost everyday conversation. Uh, We describe a road to Damascus experience as a a quick turnaround or someone who reached this turning point in their life and they made a complete U-turn. They had a a road to Damascus experience. But, of course, that phrase, it originates from this passage where where Saul is dramatically converted on the road to Damascus. But, you know, for many unconverted people who have read this passage before or who have heard sermons uh, throughout the years on this passage and Saul's conversion, for many unconverted people, they want a road to Damascus experience. Because if they're going to be converted at all, they want a road to Damascus experience. And, you know... Maybe for you, my unconverted friend, you haven't committed your life to Jesus Christ quite yet because you're still waiting for that Damascus Road experience. You're still waiting for Jesus to stop you in your sin. You're still waiting for the bright lights to flash from heaven. You're still waiting for the voice of the Father to speak directly to you. You're still waiting to have this dramatic conversion But you know, my unconverted friend, I want to say to you from the outset this morning that if you're still waiting for a Damascus Road experience, then you're not going to have one. You're not going to have one until Jesus returns again. Because you will not see bright lights from heaven. You will not hear a voice from heaven. You will not hear Jesus speaking to you directly until he comes again in judgment. Because, you know, there will be no Damascus Road experience. Because Saul was the last person to be called to serve as an apostle. And we'll see that a wee bit later on. That's why he had a Damascus Road experience. And so if you're still waiting for your Damascus Road experience, if you're still waiting for the bright lights and the voice from heaven and to be stopped in your sin, then you'll have to wait until Christ returns. And let me me remind you that when Christ returns... You'll be too late. You'll be too late to be converted. Because it'll be the day of judgment when Christ returns. But you know my friend. This Damascus Road conversion of Saul. It's not to make you despair. That you haven't yet had such an experience. The Damascus Road conversion of Saul. Is to make you realize. The grace of God towards you as a sinner. 
that you're not beyond hope and you're not beyond redemption. Because if God's mercy and grace is able to extend right down to the chief of sinners. That's how Paul described himself later on in his letter to Timothy. He called himself the chief of sinners. And if God's mercy and grace is able to extend to him. Then it's certainly able to extend to you today. And that's what I want you to take away from this dramatic conversion of Saul. Not that you have to experience uh, this, a conversion like his to be a proper Christian. But that there's nothing. There's nothing in your life that you have ever thought, said or done. That leaves you beyond hope. And beyond redemption. There's nothing that you have ever thought, said or done. That leaves you outside the care, concern and compassion of Jesus Christ. There's nothing. You're able to be saved today, just like Saul. And that's what I want us to consider together as we look at this Damascus Road experience. I want us to see three things about Saul. Saul's condemnation, Saul's conversion, and Saul's calling. Saul's condemnation, Saul's conversion, and Saul's calling. So we look first of all at Saul's condemnation. Look at verse 1. It says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, we're a third of the way through our study in the book of Acts, and it's at this point in the book of Acts that Luke, the author, introduces us to this man Saul. And he introduces us here because for the next two thirds of the book of Acts. Saul or Paul as he's later renamed. He's going to free feature predominantly in the rest of the narrative. But we have little glimpses of Saul just before this chapter. We have a glimpse of Saul at the end of chapter 7 and the beginning of chapter 8. Where we're told that Saul stood by watching and approving the Jewish authorities stoning Stephen to death. And it was after the death of Stephen that Saul began this great persecution against the church, in which Saul, we're told that he caused havoc in the church. He was trying to destroy it. He was breaking down doors. He was entering every Christian home in Jerusalem, and he was dragging men and women out and throwing them into prison. And for fear of their lives, the Christian church, they ran. They scattered, they ran from the city of Jerusalem and they ran into the regions of Judea and even further into Samaria. And as we said, the scattering of Christians into these regions, that's what Jesus promised would happen. Jesus promised his church that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so as the church scattered, so did the seed of the gospel. The gospel began to spread as these Christians moved out of Jerusalem because of persecution. They moved out into Judea, Samaria and even beyond. But what we see here is that prior to Saul's conversion. Saul didn't want the church of Jesus Christ to grow any bigger or spread any further. Saul wanted to contain it. In fact, Saul wanted to stomp out Christianity as soon as possible. And that's why we find Saul here in the opening verse 
of chapter 9, we're told that he's still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Even though most of the Christians had abandoned Jerusalem, Jerusalem by that point was a ghost town for Christians. There was nobody left. Everyone had fled apart from the apostles. And, but that wasn't good enough for Saul. Saul was determined to eradicate Christianity altogether. And he was so determined that we're told that he went to the high priest in Jerusalem to ask for the authority to carry out this persecuting campaign against Christians. Saul wanted the high priest's blessing to go ahead and destroy the church of Jesus Christ. And we're told that he received the high priest's blessing. And with that, Saul, he expands his campaign and he goes after those who were off the way, we're told, those who were Christians. And he expands his campaign to the point that Saul is traveling 150 miles north into the region of Syria. And he's going to the town of Damascus. You know, Saul's intent was to arrest any Christians that he found. Anyone who professed the name of Christ, Saul wanted to get them. And Saul wanted to bring them back to Jerusalem in chains and then have them put to death. But you know, we have to ask, why was Saul like this? Why was he so determined to destroy the church? Surely the church was a good thing. Why did he hate Christians so much? And of course we could say that, well, the reason for Saul's behavior was because he was like every other unconverted person. He was dead in his trespasses and sins. He was rebelling against Jesus Christ and the gospel. But of course there's more to it than that. Because Saul's hatred and anger towards the church and his campaign against Christians, it was all in the name of the God he professed. Saul prided himself in the fact that he was a Pharisee. And as you know, Pharisees, they were deeply religious. They were obsessed with all the rules and all the regulations. They were obsessed with pomp and ceremony. They were obsessed with all the outward forms and fashions of religion. And that's because they were more interested in what's on the outside rather than what's on the inside. But you know, for Saul, you could say that he was a thoroughbred Pharisee. Saul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. In fact, when he writes about what he used to be like in Philippians 3, he talks about what he was like before he was converted. He says in Philippians 3, I was circumcised on the eighth day according to the law of Moses. I was from the people of Israel. I was from God's covenant nation. Saul even boasted that he was from the tribe of Benjamin, the same tribe that the first king of Israel, King Saul, was from. And that's even whom he was named after. He was named after the first king. And even like King Saul, who persecuted King David, this Saul sought to persecute those who believed in the greater than King David, Jesus Christ. But even more so, Saul prided himself in the fact that he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was a thoroughbred Jew. And as a Jew, he kept all the laws of God because he was a Pharisee. And as for his zealous ambition as a Pharisee, Saul boasted, I'm a persecutor of the church. 
And with regard to the righteousness that the law required, Paul or Saul said, I'm blameless. You know, when it came to Saul's self-assessment of himself, he thought that he was such a good person. Not like other people. Saul said, I've been brought up in such a good way. With good and moral parents who taught me the truths of scripture. When I became an adult, I became so zealous for my religion, so legalistic in my mindset, and so dedicated to my denomination that I don't need your Jesus. I don't need your Jesus. That's how Saul thought. He was a good man, good morals, good parents, zealous for his religion, legalistic in his mindset, and dedicated to his denomination. So much so that he didn't need, his G- didn't need Jesus. And you know, my unconverted friend, I look at some of you, and I think you're more like Saul than you think. You might not persecute the church of Jesus Christ and seek to put Christians into prison, but I sometimes wonder that when you look at yourself, you regard yourself as a good person, even though Jesus says there's none good but God. You're not like other people because you've been brought up in a good way. You've had the privilege of Christian parents or moral parents who gave you good morals and set you on the right path and they brought you to church, they brought you to Sunday school, they taught you the truths of scripture to the point that now as an adult, you're zealous, zealous for your religion Your religion of coming to church on a Sunday morning. And you're legalistic in your mindset. Because well you know what the Bible says. You've read the Bible. You know what the Bible says about the Lord's day. You know what the Bible says about the Christian life. And what the Christian should and shouldn't do. Even though you don't adhere to it yourself. Like Paul you're zealous for your religion. You're zealous for your legalism. You're dedicated to your denomination. Because whenever, whatever anyone else says, you say, I'm free church. Do you know what the founding father of the free church, Thomas Chalmers, said? Do you know what he said about the free church? Who cares about it? Who cares about the free church in comparison to the Christian good of the people of Scotland? Who cares about the free church in comparison to the good of your soul? My friend, like Saul... Do you consider yourself to be a good person, brought up in a good way, with good morals, and that you're so zealous for your religion, so legalistic in your mindset, so dedicated to your denomination, that you don't see your need of Jesus? You don't see your need of Jesus. My unconverted friend, if you're like Saul was, then I assure you today you're lost. You're absolutely lost. And you know the reality is, it breaks my heart to say it. To tell you that you're lost. Do you know how hard it is to come here every week to tell you that you're lost? It breaks me every week to tell you that you're lost. And like Saul, you need an encounter with Christ. My unconverted friend, like Saul, you need to be converted. 
You need to be converted. That's why I want us to consider, secondly, Saul's conversion. Saul's condemnation. Secondly, Saul's conversion. Now look at verse 3. As Saul went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you'll be told what you are to do. You know, when we understand how lost Saul really was, and how much he hated Christians and persecuted the church, and hardened his heart against the gospel, when we understand all that Saul did and all that Saul was, and then we read about his conversion, and we see the change that took place in his life, you know, what we ought to realize from the outset is not this wonderful conversion. What we ought to realize is that there's no one beyond hope. There's no one beyond redemption. If God's grace and mercy is able to extend to this man who was the chief of sinners, then it's able to extend to you sitting where you are today. And it's able to extend to those around you. Do you know, my Christian friend, Saul's conversion ought to be the greatest comfort and hope for you as a Christian. Because I know that there are people in your home and in your family and in your community and in your workplace and you're praying for them. I know that your longing is that God's mercy and grace would extend to them and that they would have an an encounter with Christ. My Christian friend, I know that you're burdened for your unconverted husband. I know that you have a concern about your wife that's still a stranger to grace and to God. I know that you worry or even cry over your children who are still on this broad road leading to destruction. I know that you pray for your neighbours whom you see every day and as yet they're still lost. I know that you have work colleagues and yes they're very nice people and they're easy to get along with but they're careless with their soul. But my Christian friend you know Saul's conversion ought to be the greatest comfort and hope for you. Saul's conversion ought to encourage you to keep praying for those around you. To keep speaking to them about Christ. To keep witnessing before them in any and every situation that you can. Because if Saul's conversion teaches us anything, it should teach us that the chief of Pharisees, the chief of Pharisees was brought to see that he's the chief of sinners. And if that's the case, then God is able to save to the uttermost. This is the wonder of it. God is able to save to the uttermost. And that sinners can still have an encounter with Jesus Christ. God is able to save to the uttermost. But you know, Saul's encounter with Christ, it was so unexpected. Saul wasn't seeking to have an encounter with Christ. Saul was seeking to eradicate any mention of Christ. Because Saul, we're told, he's still breathing out threats and murder against Christians. Saul is hunting down Christians one by one, wanting to kill them. And Saul, he's determined in his mindset. Saul was going his own way. Saul is seeking to fulfill the desires of his own heart. Saul wasn't seeking an an encounter with Christ. But in order for the Lord to bring Saul to himself, 
The Lord stopped him. And the Lord met him. On the road to Damascus. The Lord had to stop Saul in his tracks. And speak to him directly. And you know my unconverted friend. I sometimes wonder. I sometimes worry. I sometimes worry about how the Lord is going to stop you in your tracks. Because like Saul who was determined in his mindset to go his own way, to do his own thing, to fulfill the desires of his heart. I sometimes wonder and I sometimes worry with your life so full and your life so busy and your life so taken up with everything around you and everything that you're doing. I sometimes wonder and I sometimes worry. How is the Lord going to stop you in your tracks and speak to you directly? And you know, the reason it concerns me is because it's very, very unlikely that the Lord will speak to you with a light from heaven and a voice from heaven. But it's very likely, very, very likely that the Lord will stop you in your tracks and the Lord will speak to you directly, either through sickness, suffering, or sorrow. That's the reality. That's why I worry. I worry about what the Lord is going to do. And what the Lord is going to bring into your life. In order to shake you. And to wake you up to the reality of eternity. I sometimes worry what the Lord is going to do to make you turn from your sin and turn to him. Because my friend, the Lord will stop you. The Lord will stop you in your tracks and the Lord will speak to you directly. And he will speak to you either through sickness or suffering or sorrow. But you need to be listening. That's how the Lord will speak to you. The Lord will bring these things into your life. Not to drive you away from him. But to drive you to him. So that you'll turn to him. That you'll be converted. That you'll turn away from your life. And turn to him. Seeking salvation. It's also that you'll be converted. Because that's what conversion is. Conversion is turning away from your old life and turning to eternal life with Jesus Christ. Conversion is turning from sin to salvation, from Satan to Christ, from darkness to light, from being lost to found, from being a sinner to amazingly a saint, from turning from going to hell, being on the, but being on the road then to heaven. My unconverted friend, you must be converted. You must be converted. And you might say to me, Murdo, I can't do it. I can't do it myself. You need to seek the Lord. You need to seek him while he may be found. Not everyone has a Damascus Road conversion. We said that. But you know, most people, they're converted gradually. Over a period of days or weeks or months, even years. But you know, the important part is not how you're converted. The most important part is that you are converted. That you are converted. My unconverted friend, you must be converted. 
Because, as we said earlier, if you're still waiting for this Damascus Road experience, if you're still waiting for the bright lights and the the voice from heaven, I assure you it's not going to happen. Because Saul was the only man on the road to Damascus who had this Damascus Road conversion. Saul was the only person to encounter with, have an encounter with the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. But even though you're not going to have a Damascus Road experience, there are many people whom Jesus has spoken to directly and personally through his word. And that's what I love about this passage. Jesus speaks to Saul directly and personally. Saul, Saul, he says, why are you persecuting me? And you know, my friend, when Jesus speaks to you, he speaks to you directly and personally, and he speaks to you through his word. And the thing is, you know when the Lord is speaking to you. You know when the word of God is affecting you. You know when the word of God is challenging your conscience. You know when Jesus is speaking to you directly. It's not me that's speaking to you. It's not another Christian that's speaking to you. You know when Jesus is speaking to you directly and personally. That's why you need to respond to what he's saying. But you know, Jesus not only spoke to Saul personally. When Saul persecuted the church and rejected Jesus, we see here that Jesus took it personally. He says, we're told in verse 4, falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. When Jesus speaks to you directly and and personally, and you reject him, do you know he takes it personally? I try not to take it personally but I can't help it. Because I want you to be saved. But even more so, you reject Jesus. And when you reject Jesus as your saviour, we're told here, he takes it personally. No one likes rejection, especially Jesus. Because the gospel reminds you that it's Jesus who created you. It's Jesus who loves you. It's Jesus who sustains your life. It's Jesus who died to take away your sins. It's Jesus who speaks to you directly and personally, inviting you and compelling you to come to him for salvation. And are you just going to keep rejecting him and running from him, even though he's speaking to you today? Is it not about time that you stopped rejecting him? And running from him. And is it not about time that you just turned to him? And asked him to save you? We've considered Saul's condemnation. Saul's conversion. But lastly we see Saul's calling. Saul's calling. Look at verse 8. Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were opened he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. 
and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. Saul's Damascus Road experience, it wasn't just the conversion of a man, it was the creation of an apostle. Because an apostle is literally a, a sent one. It's someone who has been personally saved and sent by the risen Christ. And that's what Saul was. Saul was saved and sent by Jesus Christ, by the risen Christ. And he was saved and sent just like the other apostles were. And you know, it should be a reminder to us, even here, that there are different kinds of people that Jesus saves and sends into service. When Jesus chose the original twelve, He saved and sent what you could call a mixed bag. They were a completely mixed bag of people. He saved them and sent them into service. They were fishermen. There were four fishermen. There was a tax collector who worked for the oppressive Roman government. There was a zealot who was a freedom fighter against the Roman government. There was a doubter, a denier, and a deceiver. And yet Jesus saved and sent all these apostles into service. And now here on the road to Damascus, this risen saviour, Jesus Christ, he saves and sends the most unlikely candidate into service. And it should be a reminder to us, not only that there's no one whom Jesus can't save, but also that there's no one whom Jesus can't send into service for the furtherance of his kingdom and the glory of his name. That's what Ananias had to learn. Because when the Lord told Ananias that Saul had been converted, as you would expect, Ananias can hardly believe it. Ananias says in verse 13, Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Even though Ananias questioned Saul's salvation, as you would, Ananias would have been terrified meeting Saul. And yet Jesus assures Ananias that he had saved Saul and that he was sending him into service. Even though Saul was desperate to eradicate Christianity, Jesus saved him and sent him. And this is the amazing thing. Jesus saved and sent Saul as the means to extend Christianity into Europe. And that's what's wonderful. Saul's Damascus Road experience, it impacted us here in Barnes. Because it was not only a Damascus Road experience for Saul. It was actually a Damascus Road experience for the whole church. This was a turning point in the life of the church. Saul's conversion was a turning point. Because it was through Saul's conversion and Saul's calling that the gospel would spread. It was through Saul's conversion and Saul's calling that, the church, that new churches would be planted. It was through Saul's conversion and Saul's calling that... Most of our New Testament has been written. My friend, this passage is reminding us this morning. Never think that there are sinners that Jesus can't save. And never think that there are sinners whom Jesus can't send into service. For the furtherance of his kingdom and for the glory 
of his name. There's no one whom Jesus cannot save. Because he can save to the uttermost. He can save you. Saul's condemnation. Saul's conversion. Saul's calling. But I just want to say in conclusion. That there was one clear evidence. That Saul had been converted. And it was when Jesus said to Ananias in verse 11. Behold. He is praying. Behold, he is praying. The evidence that Saul was saved was that he was praying. Of course, Saul would have prayed as a Pharisee. Saul would have prayed long public prayers that everyone would see and everyone would hear. But when Jesus said, Behold, he is praying, you know, that was the first time in Saul's life when Saul's prayers weren't just a formality. They weren't just words. They were earnest. They were heartfelt. They were full of emotion. They were full of love for Jesus. My unconverted friend, do you pray? Do you pray? I'm not asking, do you say your prayers at night? I'm not even asking, do you recite a prayer a prayer that you learned to recite when you were a child. But I'm asking, do you pray? Do you pray? Do you earnestly pray for your salvation? Do you pray with all your heart? Do you plead with the Lord to be saved? Do you pray with this emotion and love for Jesus, longing that he'd save you? Do you pray? Do you pray? Because when you pray like Saul prayed, that's the evidence that you're converted. When you pray with earnestness, when you pray with sincerity, when you pray with love for Jesus and emotion towards him, that's when you know you're converted. My friend, you're not beyond hope. You're not beyond redemption. You're still on mercy's ground. So you seek this Jesus. You seek him because his grace and mercy is able to extend to you today. You turn to him. You come to him. You seek him whilst you're still on mercy's ground. You call upon him. Because he says to you in his word, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. May the Lord bless these thoughts to us. Let us pray. O Lord, our gracious God, we give thanks to thee that thou art one who saves to the uttermost, that even the chief of sinners is not out of the grasp of God, And we thank thee and we praise thee that thou art a God who plucks us as brands from the burning. A God who draws us from darkness unto thine own marvellous light. A God who is able to speak to us all in our lives and even through thy word. And Lord, we pray that we would have a hearing ear, that we would have an understanding heart. 
that we would respond in faith and obedience, seeking the Lord while he's to be found and calling upon him while he is near. Lord, bless thy truth to us, we plead. Lead us and guide us, we ask. And bless us, Lord, in the week that lies ahead. Oh, a week that is unknown to any of us, known only to thee. Help us then to cast every care into thine hand and to pray as we were singing that thou wouldst keep our going out and our coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Go before us, take away our iniquity, receive us graciously for Jesus' sake. Amen. We're going to bring our service to a conclusion by singing the words of Psalm 119. Psalm 119, it's on page 401 in the Blue Psalm book, it's verses 16 to 20. Psalm 119 at verse 16. As you know, Psalm 119, it's a psalm that emphasizes the importance of God's word in our life. And the psalmist says in verse 16, Upon thy statutes my delight shall constantly be set. And by thy grace I never will thy holy word forget. With me thy servant in thy grace deal bountifully, Lord, that by thy favour I may live and duly keep thy word. Open mine eyes that of thy law the wonders I may see. I am a stranger on this earth, hide not thy laws from me. My soul within me breaks, and doth much fainting still endure, through longing that it hath all times unto thy judgments pure. What a prayer to have. Verse 18. Open mine eyes. That of thy law. The wonders I may see. May that be our prayer. As we sing these words to God's praise. Upon thy statutes mighty. Yeah.
of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore. Amen.